hey, Kevin, um, before we begin this episode of Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics. I think there's an announcement we have to make. I think you're right, Will. Uh, we kind of bungle it and don't announce it till late in this episode. So let's get it out now so it's up top so everyone knows. And the announcement is what our next season is going to be, which starts next episode, next week. Kevin, what is that season? We're going to cover Kurt Busiek comics. Kurt Busiek is sort of a... a He's mostly known for his superhero work, but he's kind of done a lot of other stuff. He's uh, uh, just a great writer from sort of the Heroes Reborn age of Marvel when he sort of burst into the scene uh, with Avengers and Thunderbolts. And even before that, when he did uh, Marvels, he's also the writer of Astro City. He's currently doing stuff like Aerosmith and uh, um, Autumn Lands and stuff like that. He did a nice run on Conan. So we're going to cover sort of what we consider peak Kurt era, which is like uh, Marvel's Thunderbolts Avengers era, Kurt. Yeah, I can't wait. I love Kurt Busiek. He's also a writer that both you and I have loved for a long time. So he fits mm-hmm. into our sort of brother history sort of thing. So we're excited to cover it. And that's going to start next episode. Yeah, we're going to start next episode will be Marvel's. We're going to cover the miniseries Marvel sort of as a whole, not a page by page thing. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about all four issues of that. Yeah. Uh, and then hopefully by then we'll know the schedule for the rest of the season. We but that's where we're yet, starting. We're going to start with Marvel's. Yeah. We're going to cover Avengers, Thunderbolts, uh, probably Untold Tales, Astro City. At, at that's at least we're covering that stuff, right? And we'll know it, it finally next episode. Yep, that's right. So okay. uh, tune in. It's going to be fun. And now let's begin this episode. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. Uh, this is the only podcast hosted by two brothers who talk about a thing they like. And that thing is comic books. I'm one of your two hosts slash one of those brothers slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. And I'm the other one of all those categories, Will Hines. Hey, Will, how are you doing? I don't know. I'll give myself seven out of 10. How about you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that seems reasonable. <laughs> I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to put myself higher than a seven. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today before we even get into the episode. But uh, the episode today is a Mutants and Mailbags episode. So we will be discussing Uncanny X Men. Yeah, Chris Claremont's. Uh, classic run. We're, we're on issue 185, six, seven, and eight, maybe. Yeah. If we have time, we'll get through all those four. I think we will. I don't think there's, they're too meaty, though there's a couple big things. Uh, and then we'll answer some mail mm-hmm. again if we have time. But the, ma- the mailbags portion of our, that's the mailbags portion. If you thought that was the mutant portion, you've really <laughs> been confused about what mutants are. But we got stuff to talk about, Will. We got a lot to talk about. First, should we talk about what? Uh, shortboxed? Let's do Shortboxed. So our uh, sponsors, our partners, really, Shortboxed. Um, we have a giveaway um, where they're giving away an issue of X-Men that we talked about last episode. Oh, gosh, I should know it. Um, what issue it, number it is? It's yeah, like 184, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go to shortbox.com slash screw. It's free giveaway. You put your email in. They'll send you a 10% coupon to you, Shortboxed. And that's a marketplace where you can buy and sell graded comic books. But that coupon's optional. So really, you just give them your email address. You get an email that, hey, you can unsubscribe right away if you want to be particularly craven and Machiavellian about this. And you're mm-hmm. in the running to get a near-perfect copy of a Chris Claremont X-Men issue. Yeah, 184, drawn by John Romita Jr. and the debut of Forge. Yeah, and... Um, Who and we fun- talk, we're going to talk more about Forge this week. Big so time. if you like what we say about him, get his debut issue for free. So that's shortbox.com slash screw it. Please go. Please prove to these guys that we have a listener 
Let's yeah. Let's aim for one. Yeah. Let's set a low bar. Let's have one person enter. That's our that's our goal. If you are our one listener, you got a good shot of winning this. <laughs> I mean, really, we we're not allowed to. So you, you got to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thank you, Shortbox, for doing another contest with us. We like being able to offer these giveaways to our listeners. So it's cool that they're giving away another comic to us yes, to give thank, to you. Thank you, Shortbox. Um, the next thing we should talk about is something we promised we would talk about, Will. Okay. All right. I vow to nope. leave to whoever nope. murders me. No, no, no. That's oh. not. We did not promise to make. Oh. So. To do a will and testament. Okay. Uh, we talked about uh, last week. We mentioned that we were going to talk about Moon Knight this week. Yes, the television show because we did a crash course after neither of us really knowing that much about the character. Yeah. Uh, and then we did a crash course on it. That now we have watched the six episode Marvel series. So Kevin, uh, what'd you think? I thought get ready for this big uh, hot take. This is going to be huge. I thought it was okay. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, I didn't think it was great. It was probably my least favorite of the Disney Plus mm. shows, mm. but um, maybe that's just because Moon Knight is the character I was least interested in. Sure, yeah, you're the anyway. least invested in that property. Uh, but I thought it was good. I've also liked all of them. I've definitely talked to people who are like, oh, this one's good, and this one's bad, and I'm like, I like them all. Yes. So um, your mileage will definitely vary on what you think of these uh, shows, but I've liked every single one of these Marvel Disney plus shows. And this one was no exception. I also liked it, but probably it's the one that I sort of was the least excited week. to yeah. week. Though I really liked the first episode. Uh, and then I sort of like settled into like, Oh yeah, it's pretty good after yeah. that. Um, I think I'm right with you. I might've liked it a little bit better. I, I would give it a very, a very excited B. Like I kind of thought it was, I was weirdly bored in the middle, but I, I here's what I liked about it. And then for six episodes, I think that's weird, right? To be a little bored. Yes, it is. It is. Cause it's not that many. Um, mm -hmm. I, I liked the way they adapted it. Cause what we talked about at the crash course is Moon Knight has been done in so many very different ways in its comics incarnations that they had a lot to choose from. And I thought they did a really good job of sort of honoring what was done well in the comics without burdening themselves with unnecessary stuff. Uh, I thought yeah. that was really good. I thought Oscar Isaac's performance was really good. Yeah, I think Oscar Isaac was great. Uh, you sort of expected that going in, but he was certainly lived up to what you would expect from him. Yeah, it's the biggest departure, now that I'm a Moon Knight expert, <laughs> it felt like the biggest departure from any of the characters they've adapted so far. Um, like Iron Man, even with Robert Downey Jr.'s personality, felt closer to Iron Man in the comics than this feel, feels like to any of the Moon Knight versions we read. But also, Moon Knight has gone through the most changes. Yeah, so there's, the, any least, there's the least to be loyal to. Yeah. Uh, like, what I think about is, like, Stephen Grant, the character of Stephen Grant in the um, comics is, like, this cool, suave billionaire. He's Bruce, he's Bruce Wayne, he's, basically. He's Bruce Wayne. And in the TV show, he's like a, a, a foppish fool. He's a bumbling idiot. And I thought um, that was a great move, though. I thought like this. I have no problem with that. But it, but like I would say that's a huge change. I from agree. Stephen Grant. That's the biggest change. Uh, but I kind of think that's good because like, you know, when we read the original Doug Monick, we didn't read the whole run. But the issues that we read of it and OK, I should say we didn't read the whole run. So it, it was hard to get a handle on just like what Moon Knight's vibe was like. Kanshu was barely involved in the in that first yeah. run. He has no discernible superpowers, and his civic identities, of which he had three for like no given reason, mm 
originally didn't even have that much personality. Like the cab driver was sort of tough. The billionaire was sort of suave and Mark Spector was just general, your general good guy. But he was like never Mark Spector, right? He was basically either Stephen Grant, rich guy or Jake Lockley getting gossip on the streets. Right. So I, I thought that by what the TV show did, by, by just deciding that the Stephen Grant was this super nervous, anti-violent, the furthest you could imagine guy from being a tough superhero gave the secret identity side a lot of personality. That was, that's really fun. And, and in the best Marvel properties, that's what you want. You want out of the costume, the person to be interesting. Sure. I mean, I liked Stephen Grant more in the show than I did in the comics. I mean, I'd also say like the show I liked more than most of the comics we read. Yeah. I'd probably give it like a B minus if I had to give it a grade, but again, that's a good grade. That's a show I would watch. Uh, I certainly, there was no point of me going, I'm not going to watch it next week. I'll tell you the other thing I did appreciate about it was I felt like it kind of carved out its own place from the other Marvel shows, like by relying on the disassociative identity disorder. This was a little bit more of a psychological thriller and a little bit more of a horror genre, a little bit than the other Marvel stuff we've seen, you know, where like WandaVision was kind of like genre parody and, you know, romantic tragedy. And then like Falcon and Winter Soldier's action. Yeah. Loki is kind of character study, comedy. It's sort of a a silly uh, sci-fi story. Yeah. This one is kind of psychological horror, really. Horror is overstating it, but like psychological suspense. And I kind of appreciated that it, that it, oh, you know what else I liked about it was it went dark. Like the personal history of Mark Spector was severe. And they didn't shy away from it. And I kind of liked that. I sort of always have liked that in my comic books growing up when they aren't afraid to address a deeply emotional mm-hmm. topic and they don't cop out. I mean, we could make arguments that they simplified it or they did blah, blah, blah. But they they basically had this domestic abuse situation. I won't say too much. That was like kind of severe and intense. And I, I give him credit for for kind of going for it. And I don't think it was shallow. I don't think it was cavalier. No. So I, I kind of appreciated that. I think that part didn't, it weirdly, and maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to the show. It didn't affect me as much as I would think something like that would. Generally something like that in a show, a child being uh, uh, so emotionally mistreated by the mom would wreck me, I feel like now. Yeah. Um, and I sort of watched it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's sad, which is sort of like what pre me having a kid, Kevin, would probably think of a show like I rewatched Stranger Things recently. Well, yes. And uh, when that show first started, I think Cameron had been born, but he was just like, you know, he was just, just, like a, little, a, just a little meat. It's just puppet. a piece of flesh. Yeah, he wasn't just, yeah, really a used person. used to say about that about him all the time. He used to just say yeah. we have this flesh that consumes other flesh, you would say. Yeah. Uh, but when I rewatched season one, I sobbed throughout because like i was like this child is missing and it was so it wrecked me yeah and, I, and i'd seen it before i knew what was happening i knew how this yeah. was just like oh it's so hard to watch yeah this mom not know where her kid is and so like watching moon Knight, and i was watching i was like oh it's not affecting me as much as that so i don't know if that means it was told worse or i was tired that night there's so many reasons uh but i, I also agree i like that they went there i mean i think the most fun part of the show was the first couple episodes where he's like having blackouts and like waking up and everyone's beat up around him yes it was really fun um i thought ethan hawk was really good as the uh, villain too. Uh, I also like the uh, the the bit in the asylum where they basically take the Jeff Lemire mm-hmm. uh, stuff and adapt. It was really good. Um, 
I mean, they basically, they took Khonshu from the, if we're going to really oversimplify it, from the um, Warren Ellis thing, the Mr. Knight visual design from the Warren Ellis uh, chapters. Mostly they took the Jeff Lemire stuff, added in the Mr. Knight visual look, and then threw in a little Jake Lockley at the end. Yeah. And, and, and then they, and their own edition of the Stephen Grant character. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was good. I don't know. I, the, the, the episode where you flashback and learn the origin of the disassociative identity disorder or whatever you call it um, was the best one by my, the second to last episode. Yeah. I, I, was, really, I, I was really, I was really moved by it and I could, and it, I was left really wanting to watch the last episode, like really curious about what they were going to do. So I, 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 I don't know. I have to, I say, I say it's a B, but it's like an excited B. Uh, I'm kind of like, I would, yeah. uh, would I watch another season? I don't know, but I'm still excited for other Marvel shows. Uh, I mean, I definitely would watch another season, assuming like it's a year away, right? Uh, like, uh, If there was like, a, if they were like, oh, we have six more episodes we didn't tell you about right now, I'd be like, ah, I'm not super excited <laughs> unless I see a good trailer or something maybe. But um, I all these shows I'd watch another season of so far again, I've liked them all. So yeah, I liked it. Um, I also liked the final episode, uh, which I think was not as good as the second to last episode. Like that they had this like big CGI fight between Khonshu and, and Ahmet, but like they also had like a human on human fight. So like the CGI was almost a backdrop. So it wasn't like this yeah. CGI fight was the main fight. It was sort of just I thought there. That was kind of fun too. Um, and it looked cool to see them like fighting behind the pyramids while like the real characters were doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, they they kind of lived up to the Egyptian, at least the motif uh, of, of Moon Knight. Um, I don't know. I, I thought I... I it's amazing what we take for granted. If this show came out in 1995, it would have been a miracle, a, a yeah. miracle of technology and storytelling. For, for And now we're kind of like, yeah, it's good. Like, it's sort of yeah. funny that that's where we're at. There is a part of, I mean, I also like didn't enjoy the Netflix shows, which of those that existed when I was a kid, I would have been so excited for as well. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, when people have complained about these shows, are like, ah, these shows aren't that good. I'm like, I don't know. What, what, what are you, are you expecting from yeah. this, like, superhero tv shows not to make that a diminished thing but it's like they're they're not that bad they're pretty i, I think like yeah the scale that people now are expecting is like it's not as good as sopranos it's like, okay you know <laughs> it isn't true. you're right yes, i guess that's not right. yes um i did i tried to watch i tried to rewatch a couple episodes of the daredevil netflix show because um us us reading born again got me excited about daredevil and there's just too many of them like the good parts are spread out over too many episodes like yeah. if if the daredevil netflix show was done in half as many episodes i think it would have been a just an incredible gangbusters good ride i mean i also just think like you could do that many episodes personally but it's just like you have to just write differently like nothing happens in so many episodes, like have an episode where he just like fights some criminals, like have like a case of the week in there in the middle. And I think it would re-energize you for the rest of the Kingpin story or what have you. Yeah. People like that show. So maybe it's weird that we're complaining about it, but I get bored. I got really bored watching Daredevil uh, after like episode three, I got bored. And like, I didn't make it through Jessica Jones and I didn't even try to watch. I think I watched one episode of Daredevil season two. I can't remember. I might not have even tried. I watched all season one of Daredevil and maybe like four episodes of season two. And I meant to keep going and I just never missed it. It got to a point watching those shows where I was like, it felt like I was doing it out of homework because like I'm a comic book fan and I felt like I was supposed yeah, to watch them. part of your identity. Yeah. Uh, and um, once, and I had the same thing with the Flash TV show, which I, I 
adored the first season of the CW Flash show, and I enjoyed yeah. the next few seasons okay. But there was a point where I was like, got to watch The Flash tonight. And I was like, wait, I don't have to, right? I could stop watching yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and so I did. But it took me a little while. <laughs> I had to, like, convince myself it was okay. Um, so, I don't know. We're giving it a B or a B minus, but but a, but a positive one. And, and, and I think there are a lot of things we did appreciate about it. So that's, that's the Milksop's review, which, by the way, means nothing. Yeah, well, we'll see how it affects the Disney Plus numbers. I'll get on the horn with uh, the Disney execs and see if after this episode of our podcast drops, if they see an uptick. I forgot you hang out with those guys. I mean, not a lot. We we play, uh, we, we, I'm in a softball league with them. <laughs> Didn't know you were a sports guy. I'm not, I'm not. We're, just, we're, we're pretty casual. It's more about the drinking beer, you know. How we oh are. yeah, the hangout, the hanging out. Uh, the other thing we wanted to talk about segueing is that there's been a couple of couple of comics giants have passed on recently. We just wanted to sort of give our respects, namely yeah. uh, George And Perez we did that, and, so let's move on. <laughs> okay, and we did that privately. We just want to let you guys know. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, really sad. Neil Adams passed away. Uh, sort of, I felt like out of nowhere to me. I didn't know he was sick. Uh, and then George Perez just passed away. And like he, we knew is that he had very publicly announced that he was basically going to die within a year. And he did. Um, uh, they are two giants of superhero comics. So let's do a bad job, but, okay. our, but a sincere and well-meant job of saying their impact. Uh, sure. Let's do Perez first. I feel like we have, we had more direct experience with Perez. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Perez... What do you think is, of when you think of George Perez? The first thing I think of is Avengers because that was the run of his. This I don't think I think I would say Titans is his first thing, probably mm-hmm. New Titans. But uh, Avengers by him and Kurt Busiek, uh, Busiek, um, that's where I sort of like read him in, in a monthly fashion. Yeah, and and it was sort of after that I was I sort of grew to really appreciate this guy who had been around forever um, already at that point how good he was. It was also when he did that book, he hadn't really been on a monthly book for a while. Yeah. He was offered Avengers. He was offered Avengers, not Kurt. And they were like, who do you want to write that? Or they wanted him to write it too, I guess. And he was like, I don't want to write it. I just want to draw it. And he sort of handpicked Kurt or Mark Wade. So good choices. Yeah. And um, he, he was very intent on proving he could do. A, this is crazy to me. He's a legend at this point. Yeah, he'd done New Titans. Done he had crisis. done Wonder Woman. He had done Crisis. He had done Infinity Gauntlet, and he's like, I need to prove to everyone I could do a monthly comic book. <laughs> you did monthly comic. He did Fantastic Four and Avengers before, <laughs> and New Titans forever. Like he's, <laughs> he could do it. We know he can do it, but he felt like he needed to prove to like current audiences he could still do it, and he did. He had a huge run with maybe one fill-in issue during that period, and it's great. And he is really good in it. What I think of with George Perez, and I'm way less versed than you in all things comics, but I think of like double page splash, a million characters on it, yeah. and they somehow are all beautiful and easily recognized and full of life. He's a master of like 13 panel pages where like it feels, doesn't feel crowded. Yeah. A George Perez comic also is like 22 pages. It's a read. It's not like, oh, I'm done with this comic in 30 seconds. It's a dense comic. It's, you get like two comics worth of content in his yeah. books. The other Not because it's really like a slog, because it's like it's dense and good. Yeah, it's just it's just a well a well crafted story with a lot in it because he can do a lot. Uh, the thing that really impressed me was when he announced he was dying. 
his statement was so sort of generous to the fans. I think yeah. he said something like, I'm going to spend what little time I have. I'm going to try to do some appearances. I'll take a picture with anybody who wants a picture with me and I'll like sign anything I can or whatever. But he just seemed to be like, I'm sad that I'm going, but I'm trying to get, going to try to go out being grateful to the, to the, to the community. Yeah. Marvel and DC got together and published a few more editions of the justice league Avengers, uh, trade paperback that he did with Kurt. That's really great. It's a really great story that was, it's out of print because Marvel and DC just don't get along well. Mm -hmm. So Marvel and DC sort of put their heads together and like, we'll print out like a select version and sell them to shops. And hopefully shops can like auction them off and make some money. And so everyone did this and all the proceeds were going to go to George. And he's like, no, no, no. Send them to the, uh, uh, the, what, what is it? The heroes foundation, the comics foundation. Okay. Uh, basically this foundation that helps comic creators who need money. He didn't take the money for his family. Yeah. Like it was offered, like, this is for you. And he's like, great, give it to this tra- charity. Yeah. I'm fine. I just remember. And I mean, was... he made comic books. I'm sure he's did okay, but it's not like he's super rich either. He, he's not TV movie guy. He's comics yeah. guy. So like, um, anyway, I just, I was really moved by that. Um, I, I think it is important again, just to like, even before he did new Titans, which I think is where like, he became like superstar George Perez. Yeah. Before that, he had already been like a Fantastic Four artist. I think maybe he'd already done Avengers for a little while. Mm. And he was already like the, one of those artists, like at Marvel, you're like, oh, a good artist is on this book. You yeah. know, it was sort of when there's sort of a house style, but like you still could tell like this guy's good though. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then he did New Titans, which was like a shot in the arm for DC Comics. He also like reinvented Wonder Woman after Crisis. Right. Uh, I mean, I think of George huge. Perez's drawings of Wonder Woman when I think of Wonder Woman. Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, he drew Crisis, which is crazy. He did Infinity Gauntlet, which is probably the best Marvel crossover. Uh, I mean, it's certainly impactful. It's what the movie inspired the movies uh, with yeah. Thanos. Uh, I mean, those things alone are so great. I remember he went to this uh, indie comic company called CrossGen for a while that was doing like, they were sort of, pillaging all these great creators and when they got george perez i was like Ooh, what a get yeah uh, uh i mean that company went belly up uh, uh and he didn't do that much work for them but it was still just like oh man they went for a big gun yeah his uh, his so, name carries weight once you add his name to something the project goes up in stature yeah so he is phenomenal detailed and and just good uh now neil adams i've read less neil adams stuff but the, the interesting thing i think for just for you and me for the milk stops is neil adams sort of prime impact time was kind of right before we were reading comics. Like he was a 70, I mean, he was influential throughout his career, but like he made his mark in the seventies. That's when Batman and dead man and all of his DC work. Uh, he also yeah. did a lot of the pre new X-Men X-Men. Yes. Um, and, and lots of stuff, but even so Kevin and I were not like picking stuff off the spinner rack when you would get a new Neil Adams story too much. However, yeah. still, Neil Adams was the kind of guy that if Kevin and I bought like some sort of like trade paperback collected thing of Batman stories, you know, and they were like drawn by Neil Adams, we'd be blown away by it. Like he's the kind of guy that when you saw his art, it looked like nothing else. And it had this, it was fun and dramatic and film noirish. And you kind of just ate it up. It was so easy to look at. I mean, it was like cinematic and beautiful and just heads and shoulders above every you know back at a time when everyone's trying to look like jack kirby neil looked like neil and it was great i also think like when we first reading batman even though i maybe did know his name at that time i 
I think like his covers were what I thought of as Batman. Like, that's the image that was how everything else was sort of being compared to in my head. And then yeah. he was a creator. I knew the name of well before I'd like read many comics by him. Yeah. He's one of the guys whose names, you know. Yeah. And I don't know how I know it. It was just like, Oh, you just know Neil Adams. I also think, and I plugged this on our Twitter feed, but like, I also now think of the Jeff Smith episode we did. Yes. Uh, uh, where Jeff Smith uh, uh, talks about the, the Neil Adams Batman issue that introduces Rachel Ghoul. So if you, and, if, yeah, if you want to go deep on Neil Adams, our podcast weirdly has a great example of this Jeff Smith creator of bone. Jeff Smith himself is an incredible talent yes. that we were so thrilled to talk to, but all Jeff Smith wanted to talk about was Neil Adams and rave about him panel by panel through a comic that Jeff seemed to have almost memorized. Yeah. And just and like sort of, raved about his Neil's abilities time and time again throughout it. And man, it was fun to, to listen to. I think if you had asked me before that podcast, like was Neil Adams a big deal? I've been like, yeah, of course, big deal is very influential. But I think that episode talking to Jeff, I was like, oh my, I think I undersold in my mind how important Neil Adams is. Yeah. Well, like it, hearing Jeff talk about it, I'm like, oh man, Neil Adams is, you know, top 10 comic creators probably. Uh, when I was a kid, I, you know, Neil's created Dead Man uh, and I think he wrote and maybe drew Dead Man. Um, and that's a DC hero that I read some collection of Dead Man when we were like kids, Kevin, like when I was like 13 or 14 and I loved yeah. it. Like it stayed in my mind like forever. Uh, talking about Moon Knight, like Dead Man is a sort of a character who dies and is weirdly bought, brought back to life by an Eastern god you know but like um i kind of thought of is it like it's a better moon knight like it predated yeah. moon knight too like but i kind of recommend dead man if for some reason you haven't like gone into any neil adams stuff i would say find some dead man comics because those are those are some just beautiful real interesting uh stuff i also think like a lot of the artists that i early, got into early like alan davis is one of my favorite early artists mm -hmm. uh and especially his early stuff, you see Neil Adams' influence all over. Bill Sienkiewicz, before he went abstract, was basically a Neil Adams copycat. Yeah. Not not swiping, but like style-wise. Yeah, I um, mean, it, it makes sense, right? You'd see his art and you'd be like, oh, I want, to, I want to draw like that. Here's a metaphor that I cannot defend, but I think of Neil Adams as like Led Zeppelin, where it's like virtuoso, but still really fun and simple and kind of seems both classic but no one's doing anything like him and just fun. I mean, I just think of Neil Adams comics is like really fun. Neil also like very few artists, like basically from like the birth of Marvel, uh, really even earlier. So like from silver age DC through uh, uh, like eighties Marvel, there was so much house style stuff. Like DC had house style and yeah. Marvel had house styles. And the only people that ever got to break out of that style at that time, like nowadays you read a Marvel comic, you can get pretty drastic different styles in a Marvel comic nowadays yeah. from new artists. But back then it's like, if you're going to do something that doesn't fit in with everything else, you better be good. Yeah. And like uh, uh, Jim Steranko was one of those guys. Yeah. Um, of course, and Neil Dicko. Adams was one of those guys. Dicko was one of the, the probably the earliest of those guys. But like it was rare when those guys came along, but like Neil Adams was that like he was breaking borders and it was dynamic and it was like grabbing your attention. The, the, uh, other, th the other thing I, yeah. Um, oh yeah. Breaking the borders. I'm sorry. It was a really, that's always a telltale Neil Adams thing. Like Batman, like stepping out over the frame mm -hmm. of the, of the border. Um, 
The other thing about Neil, and it's funny we're talking so much because we're not really experts, but even I guess this is a testament that even non-experts know how important yeah. Neil Adams is. Um, but like, if you do any reading in like the biography of comics creators, Neil Adams often shows up as like a good guy. Um, like he was a really strong advocate for the rights of comics creators to like get their original work and to be paid better. Like he used his clout to fight for people who had less clout than him. Um, and I just when I when I read the Stan Lee biography, True Believer by Abraham Reisman, the very negative anti Stan Stan biography, um, Neil Adams, even in that kind of cynical book, is this like good guy who tries to show up and like protect Stan and Stan's later years and checks in on Stan and make sure that he's not getting taken advantage of and tries to like stand up for him and make sure that people aren't forgetting about this guy. So he was, you know, even though he, so he would fight against the corporation, but also stand up for the most corporate guy. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think he was, a, I think Neil was a fan of all comics creators. Yeah. Uh, Neil and George were both good people beyond great comic creators. They're just good people. And I, I, I didn't know either of them, but I, I've not read a single negative thing about either of them ever. Sometimes I'm you can sh- tell. It might be out there, but it just, I, I don't know them. Yeah, and it's, it's not that I don't necessarily believe that you need to be a quote unquote good person to be a good artist. I don't think you do. You can have an impactful uh, thing on your industry with your art regardless. That's in my art. I try to be the worst person I possibly can be and make up for it with the quality of my art. But mm-hmm. um, these guys are beloved. Like you can just, you can see it in the comments of, of all their peers and the people who worked with them, like the two giants have left us in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Uncanny X-Men 185, 86, 87, 88. Great. So Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other. Sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party mm-hmm. who take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit is it how faded are the colors and then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh between like zero and ten so ten being like oh this comic is in perfect condition it could not possibly be better and one is what did you do to this comic book <laughs> what happened you're here? a monster yeah <laughs> and uh Shortbox, their app has just been redesigned recently so it's more intuitive and prettier and they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win Graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. All right, we are back. Ken, let's get into some mutants. Cool. Overall, Will, what'd you think of these four issues? Uh, I'm still liking it. I happened to like these four a little. Well, actually, it was up and down. I love the double size Barry Windsor Smith issue Mm -hmm. tremendously. And the other three kind of were a little too busy for me to get to get my hooks in. But 
you know, given the last four, I'm I'm into this general run of X-Men. I think it was a little downside with the bright spot of the Barry Windsor Smith issue. Yeah, the Dire Wraith stuff was a little blah. But the, yeah. I think I like the first two issues. I think the Rogue Storm issue as well as the Barry Windsor Smith issue were both a blast. Um, and then the Dire Wraith ones weren't bad. Uh, someone emailed us in, uh, Corey Mintz emailed in saying, if you didn't like the brood, get ready for the Dire Wraiths. I'll say this for the Dire Wraiths. It's only two issues. Yeah, that's true. I can handle a bad story for two months. It did have 12 simil- months. You're going to lose me. Well, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about these good issues then. Uh, yeah, let's start I, there. I agree with you. The first two were better than the next two. So the first issue we have 185 pub, Rogue Public Enemy. Yeah, Rogue Public Enemy. Kevin, I think I had bought this issue at the time. I don't mean to brag. Um, well, I had never read this issue before. So if you oh. read it, you kept it secret from me. I and didn't hit you're it. You're a jerk. I, yep. Now I'm finally getting to enjoy it. Enjoy the re- the the rewards of hiding it from you. Uh, so this is like uh, Shield, or really the government thinks Rogue killed a Shield guy. She didn't. She was framed, and so they're after her. And the X Men are wondering where Rogue is. That's what this issue is about, right? Yeah, Storm and Storm tracks her down, and the government is after Rogue with a mutant power neutralizer gun, which hits Storm and takes Storm's power. Yes. This is um, a gun made by Forge, the technopath mutant who's good at like making stuff, basically, mm-hmm. that we met in the last batch of issues. And it's experimental, so it's very risky to use it. But this is this is like an anti-mutant group in the government who just like they just despise mutants. So they don't even care if it kills them. They don't care. Yeah. If they're willing to try to neutralize their powers. They get Storm, and it does seem to take away her powers. Yeah, I knew Storm lost her powers. I think I mentioned it maybe last episode or, or the episode you before that. You mentioned the last episode, I think. Yeah. And I didn't know when it happened. And then I, it happens similar to Dark Phoenix. This happened way earlier than I expected it to. Yeah. Uh, this happened so shortly after Secret Wars, basically, that this means we were reading comics when Storm lost her powers. And I thought like that happened deep into my like comic book reading life. But it happened early. Anyway, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, Storm loses her. Pa- well, before that, Storm and Rogue. Storm finds Rogue, and they kind of have a Chris Claremont style couple pages of conversation just about their friendship and do you trust me? And maybe not a couple pages, but like you know, they, they kind of check in with each other. And well, unlike Chris Claremont, it's on the page, right? It's not like between issues they became best friends. Storm has, pu- and they Rogue brings it up that Storm publicly said she was going to quit the team if Rogue joined. Yeah, but then didn't do that, and so they sort of hash it out. And Storm's like, I think you're a good person. Um, and uh, it's cool. And then Storm willingly lets Rogue absorb her powers just to prove that she can do that safely. Yeah, just as a show of trust. And so Rogue temporarily gets Storm's powers. Uh, and she see it seems to be a peaceful transition, whereas sometimes a Rogue does this, it disrupts her. She seems all right. But then she gets zapped a little bit with the ray on its like minimal setting or something. And loses a little bit of her powers, although she'll end up regaining them very shortly. This is Rogue. Uh, and then by the time the Rogue effect wears off and the powers return to Storm, they get into the battle with the government. And that's when the government agent shoots Storm with the Bray, Bray, Ray full yeah. blast. Henry Gyrick. He's the government. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this issue. I think Ramita's art is great. I think he draws action sequences. I think he is the best fight scene draw uh, artist that the X-Men has had other than burn. I agree. It's dynamic. It's easy to read. It's simple. 
Um, it's fun. These issues are these. This was a really fun issue to read. Um, we, we also had a little. We're building up the anti-mutant subplot. Basically, the government. You know, there was pages on that. Like like um, Mystique in disguise as a government employee is trying to investigate what's going on. Forge is mad that his weapons are being used without his permission against mutants. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean, Claremont Ra- Rachel really- Summers, Rachel Summers, the character from Days of Future Past, daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey from another timeline, is in our present and calls Cyclops to hear her, quote unquote, dad's voice. Yeah, uh, Claremont does, a fun, does fun stuff with these villains. Like Mystique is a villain, but like she's trying to like help the mutants secretly. Like it's the same sort of thing that sort of happens with Magneto. It's like these villains are bad, but like they're becoming less mustache twirling bad and more like, Oh, we just come about this from a more violent angle. Yeah. We're more we do a- really want a good thing. We're not trying to take over the world anymore. We're trying to make the world a better place. We're just willing to kill some humans to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a I think that's a great shift for these villains. It makes them a lot easier to care about. I think so too. Should we go on to the next issue? We should. All right. So this is issue 186. This is a big one. Uh, this is a double-sized issue. It's drawn by Barry Windsor Smith, guest artist, and a heck of a guest artist. And yeah. it's basically a storm and forage issue. This is crazy that, like, this is not like an anime. Like, the, X-Men just gets double-sized issues every now and then. And I think that just shows how well it was doing that. I don't know if it came from, like, Marvel, like, do a double-sized issue, if it was, like, Chris going, I got too much story. I want to do a bigger issue. And they're like, yes, of course, we can sell, charge more. <laughs> Yeah. Like X-Men is successful enough to do this is really impressive. And, you know, this is in an earlier time of comics when there were maybe fewer special events. So to see on the rack double-sized issue and this kind of picture of Storm and Forge, you know, kind of in a romantic context or even yeah. just, a, just a tragic, tragic drama context, looking out at it, the reader was like, whoa, what's what's this? This is like, but it's. You know, a- it's also a double-sized issue that isn't like the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. It's a very quiet double-sized issue. Yeah, it's basically Forge has taken the injured Storm back to his place. He feels responsible because it was his gun that uh, has taken her powers away. And they fall in love is what happens. Kevin. Yeah, uh, on page, but very quickly. So still so, so still very clear money. Instant love, man. Uh, I mean, I'm married. I hope my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. I don't believe I've ever fallen in love with anyone this fast. I don't have feel. I don't have reactions to anything. I think you can set me on fire, and I wouldn't say "ouch" as quickly as the X Men fall in love. Even that ball of flesh I raised, it took me like a while before I truly, <laughs> truly lost myself uh, to him. Um, you know, it, I don't know. It's just it's crazy how quickly people have emotions <laughs> um, that are like not lust. That's like deep love. Yeah, so um, this issue, we do have some dire wraiths. The dire wraiths start here a little bit, yes. Um, the dire wraiths, which are some sort of like, they're kind of brood-ish. They're like some kind of alien race that can like take over your body and stuff. And they've like sort of, yeah. to, to my, what I read, kind of an arbitrary set of powers that seem to yeah. come and go and are vaguely magical. And and I do think it is a weakness of Claremont's that, I mean, these are characters coming from Rom which I think mm-hmm. is like there's like a big event happening in ROM and they're spilling into other books or something seems to be what's happening here. But it, you're not, ex- nothing is explained to you. Like even ROM even shows up for a panel in one of these two issues and it just sort of happens. And it's, it, there's no explanation of what's going on. So it's like, if you're not aware of ROM and that storyline, it's just sort of weird. 
And he does that with his own books. He does it with other books. He, he just sort of assumes, you, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we don't know. We don't know, Chris. Yeah. Um, so the, the arc of Forge and Storm is Forge is trying to nurse Storm back to health. They get to know each other. Forge is curious about Rogue. Storm kind of tells him about Rogue. They're really attracted to each other. And then Storm finds out that Forge not only built the gun that hurt her, but is in contact with the people who attacked her. And so yeah. she feels betrayed that he did not tell her all this. And she's kind of storms out at the end. Storms out, no pun intended. Um, right. Yeah. And so they're in love, but she's mad at him. And so it, I mean, it, it is very weird that Forge built a gun to take mutant powers away. And he's like, I didn't think they'd ever use it. <laughs> I mean, it's like, why did you make it? You work for the government <laughs> and you made a gun to hurt mutants. Um, and like, I don't know. It, it, that's all very weird. But he seems to feel guilty about what happened to Storm, which is why he's taking care of her. And then he falls in love with her. And that's all very sweet. And then he feels shattered that he that she hates him now which yeah. that is very x-men that's juicy uh stuff yeah um i like her overalls look uh at one point she wears like a dress to try to like attract forge and then she's kind of embarrassed about it and switches into some overalls she's like yeah this is more my style and yeah, that's I mean, kind of fun very winter smith draws a really cool storm just in general yeah, this issue is beautiful. I mean, this, uh, I think I bought this issue too, not to brag, but it was like a standout issue. It was like the kind of thing you would talk about with your comics reading friends, like, oh, just see that X-Men issue. Everyone's like, you got to read the beginning of this Diorathes plot. Yeah, it was all about ROM. My friends and I were 100% into ROM and whatever was going on in ROM. Yeah. Um, I don't know, let's go on to the next one. Yeah. Um, huh. uh, uh, then we go in, now we're full on Diorathes. John Ramirez Jr. is back. The diaries are sort of like guys who like suck your life and then can turn into you. They can shape change into you. That yeah. seems to be their main deal. It reminds me of the butterflies and the peacemaker television show. Yeah. Yeah. It kind is of. like that. Um, and just like a million sort of like aliens who take, you know, like uh, body, body snatchers, snatchers kind yeah. of, kind of situation. Uh, and I, this is one of those issues where I get confused over the logistics of like, what's happening and who's done what to who and what's the strategy move here? Like despite John Romita Jr.'s very good and easy to look at art, I'm, I lose track of like, how, how are the good guys doing exactly? And like, yeah, what, I don't what think, is at stake? I think it's a Claremont thing, right? Cause like by the end, you've got like Forge's dad doing some sort of ritual. I don't know what that was ever about. Like I, I read the this. story is, storm having to fight these aliens without powers right that's the fun and that's cool and i think that's delivered well but everything else is sort of just magic and 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 science fiction and things are happening like this and the next issue like the end of this issue ends with like some big black blob absorbing the x-men i don't know what's going on there yeah this this and the next issue it's like is this the issue where storm and forge get the little soul link yeah, they do. Okay, so like is that this issue. Oh, yeah, so like, what basically happens is, Forge has it's not his dad; it's a father figure, like a mentor from the Cheyenne tribe, who's oh, sort yeah. of a magic shaman. I thought he as referred to Forge as his son at one point. I but. think he thinks of him as a son, but he shows up to like save Forge, but the dire wraiths off-panel take over his body, and when they do that, he dies, and that stimulates the soul link between storm and forge why that happens i don't know but 
it's his son and he's in love with her. For some reason, they had a little brief moment of being linked to what consequence? None that I can tell. Then they see the shaman, but what they don't know is this is dire wraith version of the shaman who is just in disguise waiting to attack them, which he'll do next issue. Rom shows up, but that's just a hologram of Rom that Forge yeah. creates to scare off the dire wraiths. No explanation of who Rom is to us X-Men readers. Yeah. Or why that would scare the dire wraiths. Or and really it, what the dire wraiths are about. They yeah, they come seem, out of nowhere. They come out of nowhere. They can shapeshift. They can take over bodies. They also can create illusions without taking over bodies. Some of them are wizards. It's not clear at all. And I, and I kind of don't care. Like, there's so much of it that I'm like, I don't need to untangle this. It's yeah, like I said, the fun part of that issue for me is like, Storm's like, oh, this is a huge threat and I don't have powers, but I'm still going to go and deal with it. What a great story it would be if it was just that. If it was Storm yeah. without powers trying to fight an alien in a diehard, like, or in like a, you know, mo- you know, monster in the house kind of situation. Like, what a fun story that could have been. But it's kind of got lost with all the, I don't yeah. even know what's happening. So uh, we move on to the next issue. The next which, issue, the highlight is probably the costume Nightcrawler wears. He wears like this uh, uh, German <laughs> Nazi pilot's hat. Uh, that is just, I don't know why he's wearing it. He's wearing like a, a flight coat and a fighter hat for no reason that I can see. And I love it. He teleports onto his girlfriend's plane where she is a flight attendant, his witch slash adopted sister slash girlfriend slash yes. flight attendant. He teleports onto her plane, which I think is farther than he should be able to teleport. That's a plane in the sky, but he well, does. he's flying next to it. I think a hundred okay. feet overhead. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Then he takes her back onto the blackbird. Yeah. And he is wearing some kind of German red Baron, like sort of pilot costume. Yeah. But they need her for the battle. Why? I don't know. Because these aliens are magic. And so they need a magician on their side. Yeah. They bring her and then they bring in Ilyana who's uh, in the mutants developed magic powers because of her time in limbo. Yeah. Uh, And this, like, there's a nice moment where like, she's worried about what Colossus is going to think about her being like a evil witch wizard. And he's of course loves his sister. Cause he's Colossus. Come on. Yes. But like, I, I do. Nice I do. Part. I love that moment. I love that moment. You can see like a, a better comic amidst the chaos and you kind of wish you could just like carve away some of the extra stuff. Just even with the diorates, it's just like simplify them. They're a threat even without all this like magic mumbo jumbo that I can't follow. I think Claremont so passionately thinks about every little permutation of the plot that he's like, oh, everyone else will have so much fun if I just dump it all on the page. But it's like, no, nah, we need you to like pick and choose for yeah. us. That's I mean, why this, this comic it, didn't work and nobody liked it. This is bad. Like the brood story was bad. But to me, it didn't bother me as much because this this was like the last two issues of the brood saga that followed 10 other issues of the brood saga. And I was just like, I don't even, I just want to be through this where this is like, uh, this will be over soon. It's all I could think when I when I'm reading it, and that yeah. and that and that, that like, does make it. And I guess I don't know if we come back next episode and read four more issues of this, I'll be angry. Okay, be but ready at this for point, a possible. I think anger. I'm okay. Uh, they defeat the diorates or seem to, and then there's kind of like an internal conflict on the X Men where Nightcrawler, wait, it is Nightcrawler, right? Yes, Nightcrawler, not Wolverine. <laughs> no. Calls everybody together. Well, even let's get before you get to that. There's a really nice moment when Nightcrawler checks on Storm. Yes, she has no uh, powers, and he's checking on her. And it's just a really sweet moment with like, 
Yeah, he has two a of meeting. the more long-standing members just sort of yeah. checking in on each other. He's called the meeting of the X when she's like, "Well, I don't need to go. I don't have powers. I mean, I, there's nothing I can really help." And he's like, "Well, I want you there just because it's you. I need you there." Yeah, uh, that is very sweet. We love when the X Men are friends, mm-hmm. and they are. So then the meeting. I don't quite know the purpose of the meeting. I call it just like complaining, but I don't know what his agenda is. Well, he's basically saying like, "I think the X Men should break up because we don't serve a purpose anymore." Okay. He's like, like we the, got the, the FF and the Avengers and the purpose of the X-Men is like we'll be heroes and that'll convince everyone that the X-Men are the mutants are are not to be hated. And it has worked so poorly that the government is actively trying to kill us now. And on top of that, our loved ones have died. In in the in the act of trying to prove to everyone mutants are good, we've lost loved ones and we have done we have not proven anything. We might as well just not exist. Nothing would be different. Okay, right. And so the but the X-Men choose they convince him that it's better to hope and to try. Um oh you what happens is Rachel Summers, who is from yeah. a different future, shows them the, the her world where mutants have been um the Sentinels have won and the anti-mutant forces have wiped out all of mutantdom. And it kind of scares them into being like, we have to do something about this. We have to keep trying. The Nightcrawler's thought process is like. That sort of proves my point, but uh, he's not leaving yet. Um, and so it's kind of a go team moment at the end with the X-Men hugging, uh, really just Colossus hugging all of them at once. I think he looks too big in that picture. Seems out of, yeah, he seems like a big transformer has like come in and wrapped his big arms around them. Uh, and then there's a little epilogue that's teasing, I assume, the next issue where some dock worker has found a magic amulet in a fish. Yeah. Uh, uh, one quick thing about the current lineup of the team. It's interesting, right? Because like uh, Rogue and Rachel are outsiders. Like we would, now that we've lost um, Cyclops. And, and Jean, where's Wolverine? And Wolverine is often a miniseries with Kitty Pride, And Kitty Pride's not there. The team feels very different. And like Storm without her powers, it's really Nightcrawler and Colossus are like all that's left. Yeah. I mean, at this moment, it feels like, oh, Storm could quit. Yeah. Just like I Banshee. Think, uh, and who do you got left? Not much. Yeah. Um, I remember that when I think of X-Men, though, this is the era that I think of, which is like the X-Men are kind of an extended family. And when you pick up the X-Men, you're going to get like two thirds yeah. of that family featured and one third is somewhere else. Yeah. And it's also they're not I think later on when I wasn't reading the family gets too big and there's like 60 people. And it's like, I don't even know which 10 you're going to get. It might not be the 10 you like, but at this point, it's not so big. Yeah. Uh, and like some of them, like Scott is kind of in and out a lot. So, you, you yeah. know, he'll be back. Um, <coughs> bless me. Wow. Gesundheit. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't like the diary stuff, but I sort of didn't dislike these issues for me. Like what you were saying about the broods issues that you sort of like saw through this, what happened for me here? It's like, oh, I like these moments, like with Nightcrawler and Storm mm-hmm, and Colossus mm-hmm. and Magic. And I didn't care about this diarrhea stuff, but there wasn't enough of it to, to bother me to not enjoy these two issues. So okay. I enjoyed these issues more than the Crockham brood stuff, but mostly just because of sheer size. Like, you know, yeah. Again, if Daredevil was three episodes, we, it would have been an amazing three episode show. Sure. Uh, and so these two issues is better than a 12 issue saga. Um, all right. Well, that's our that's our take on these uh, X Men um, sticker. Oh no, should we go right into a couple emails? And yeah, then... yeah. We already took our break. We already took a break, right? So, so we're just, we we've already gone pretty long, so we're only going to answer a few emails. Well, 
if you want to email us, you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com. You can tweet us, tweet at, tweet at us at screwitcomics. Mm-hmm. Check out our Instagram, screwitcomics. Um, I think next episode, and we'll say this again at the end, we're going to begin another season. Oh, yeah, which- we should have announced that at the top. We're bad at this. Well, maybe we can do a cold open. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're gonna do we're gonna do a season on Kurt Busick, uh, one of our favorite comics writers, one of the one of the real big, important, significant comic book writers. Um, he's one of these guys that has done so much; it's impossible for us to cover him thoroughly. But we're gonna do we're gonna do kind of a selection of stuff that we like and kind of focus on '90s Busick, maybe not 100% strictly, but largely. And um, he is the author of lots of stuff that you know and love, uh, Marvels. Thunderbolts, yeah. a big run on Avengers. We happen to love Untold Tales of Spider-Man, whether or not that looms large in his legacy. Yeah, uh, Astro City. Astro City, of course. Next week, I think we're going to start with Marvels. I think that is where we'll start. We'll start, start big. So if you want to read, uh, we're going to just talk about the whole miniseries as kind of a whole. Yeah, so we're going to do Marvels uh, as the beginning of our Busick season. Yeah, so as I said, we got an email from Corey Mintz just today saying, if you didn't like the Endless Brood saga, you're not going to like the Dire Wraiths. And he's both right and wrong about that. Assuming that uh, we're done with them. Assuming that we're done with them. Uh, Robert Christ, who emails us a bunch, emailed in, Will. Uh, I'm listening to the latest episode, and you said off the top of your head, this is you, Will, that the 1972 bucks were good. <laughs> uh, and then you weren't sure if they actually were. Uh, I only know this because in 2021, I was in Milwaukee watching the Royals play the Brewers. And the first of our two games was moved ahead because game six of the NBA finals being played in Milwaukee that was being played in Milwaukee that night. Okay. Well, uh, if you see in that subject line, that the big hashtag, it just doesn't make sense. The subject line of this email, that was a big hashtag that was going on. So bucks and six was a hashtag, I guess. Yes, I remember that. And, and fans were chanting like crazy. And what do you know? The bucks did win in six. Again, uh, how I know the 1972 team was probably good is because at that time, the news was that the Bucks hadn't won a championship in 50 years. And if you look at 50 years prior to 2021, that was 1971. Oh, wow. So an incredible off-the-top guess on your part. The 72 team did go 69-19, so they were good after all, winning the previous, uh, uh, after winning the previous year. Uh, Robert Christ offers you a wheat cake. <laughs> I'll take it. Ooh. Love my wheat cakes. So that was a fun little thing there. We got an email from Mike San- Santagata. Uh, now that we know Professor X was secretly a baller, I think he's talking about <laughs> basketball, yeah. this whole time, I'm going to propose a scenario for you. Professor X is the favorite to win the two-on-two bald basketball league with his <laughs> teammate Caliban. <laughs> Uh, they have a nasty duo where charles reads the opponent's mind so he can stay one step ahead of them while caliban grosses the other team out by professing (laughs) his love for them they've won eight straight titles in an admittedly very small basketball league charles clearly the leader as we saw when he crossed over an imaginary kareem abdul jabbar but caliban has a mean bounce pass Uh, tired of this dominance by the dynamic duo the monocle has offered to pay each of you $8 million to find him a teammate to take down Charles and Caliban. Uh, obviously, the caveat here is that they have to be bald. Which bald Marvel character would you convince to join the monocle in this scenario? Very fun. 
Uh, okay, my first thought is Gideon, the millionaire from uh, Fantastic Four, uh, who just like brags about how much money he has. I think and, he like, might be thinking of Gideon when he said the monocle, because I'm not sure the monocle was bald. Oh, the monocle's not bald. The monocle's like a German sort and of- And he like, talks about the monocle offering us $8 million. I think he means Gideon. Okay, so Gideon's already on the team. Great. That's all I care about. So <laughs> I'm gonna, Gideon. We need to think of another bald Marvel character Silver or Silver Surfer's character. bald. Silver Surfer's bald. He could like- How about Lex I mean, Luthor? Lex Luthor is not going to be good at basketball, though. And you already have great, a rich great guy. at drawing plays. Okay. Silver Surfer is a good pick because uh, he's bald I mean, even without his cosmic powers. But the power of cosmic is a, is a handy skill to have on the court. Must be just like, you know, if you need to uh, make a three pointer, just change reality so that it always was so that you hit that three pointer. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice hook. That's, a, that's not a sky hook, that is a, a dimensional hook. Cosmic hook. Uh, the Watcher. How about the Watcher? It's like the number two kid. He won't pass. Like he won't get involved. He's bald, right? I mean, like yeah, but he stays on the bench. Subbing in for Silver Server, the Watcher. I refuse. No, 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 no. I, I refuse. refuse to play. I cannot interfere with what happens on Earth. It's just uh, a basketball game, Watcher. Come on, just 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 dribble it. I'll do all the shooting. No. Uh, wow, I can't. I couldn't Watcher think of any bald score. people. You've thought of two already. Uh, the impossible man is kind of bald. He's just, you know, he's got his so, green right, head that's and he'd fair. be great. He'd be great. He could turn into like a steamroller and like, you know, roll <laughs> on down the court without traveling. I mean, the vultures bald, right? Oh yeah. Really good. You know, uh, you can't block him because he's shooting from above the basket. Yeah, he's, he's got his wings. Yeah. He's got to have his wings. We're not going to take the vulture in his civvies, right? That would be a really bad 78 year old man. Yeah. I mean, the Spider-Man team of Vulture Tinker is not a great team, but uh, I'm sure we could think of others, but I, but I, nothing's coming to mind. I mean, Silver Surfer is a slam dunk pick. No okay. uh, pun. pun so Watcher, pun. Watcher will keep score. I think he's got to agree to do that. That's his whole jam, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then so if you have, ask him, to, if you ask for like a, a ruling, he won't be a good ref, right? Because I only he observe. Won't, he won't do replays. It's Come on. What, what, <laughs> Do we get that shot off before the buzzer? It is not for me to say. <laughs> How about the guy with the super ape? A lot of Kirby guys are bald. The uh, um, the super apes guy, uh, Red yeah, Ghost. He was bald. I mean, he's he sort of got, he's not completely bald, but I, I bald, bald league, he, I think he gets He's in. like 19th century president bald, right? Like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's got the circlet of hair. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know how, I mean, he's he, he's like Shadow Cat. He can walk through things, but without his apes, he's really taking a lot of his. <laughs> I assume his apes are coming along. Like, I hope yeah, they're not on the, the red court. Oh, well, then I don't want the red ghost. You I don't can't have him on the court. You're not going to get four people for the price of one. Okay, you don't get right. Galactus when you recruit the Silver Surfer. <laughs> Eventually, we will. Though Galactus might also be bald. In which case, that's a good pick, too. He's got hairless thighs. Uh, I mean, that's a big pick, too, because he, he's like only his feet are on the court. The rest of him towers through the building roof. Well, he shrinks when he's starving. So if you like if you catch him in oh. between planets, he might be able to fit. Yeah. I mean, also, he's going to eat the other team. He all he has shorts. Well, here's one. Joe, uh, uh, Joe Wartman emails us. Screw it. Comics jumped the shark. Just when we thought Kevin and Will were hitting their peak, we learned that they've actually jumped the shark by creating a new young and hip character to try to appeal to a wider audiences, their younger brother, Brian. <laughs> uh, let me guess. Brian is a cool dude that the youngsters can relate to, riding a skateboard, listening to his Walkman, quoting all the trendy TV shows. It's 90s Marvel all over again. What's next? Shiny hollow foil va- variant profile pictures? <laughs> when is this cash grab younger brother character going to be on the show? 
I mean, he's 45. Yeah. So real youthful. It'll be a real youth movement. He's youthful compared to us. He's got sure, youthful yeah. energy. He exercises. He's got, he's, he's got way more <laughs> vim than us. You know, we're sedentary. He's out there hit, hitting the gym. Here's one from Zeke talking about born again. Hmm. Uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying your episodes on born again. I read the issues as they came when I was in high school and quoted them endlessly with my friends. He had friends. Ugh. Nice. Uh, I was a huge Miller head at the time, having been drawn to the comics by his earlier Daredevil run. I remember being so excited to learn he was coming back for another Daredevil story. I got chills listening to Screw It when you quoted, I've shown him that a man without hope is a man without fear. Ooh, I got chills now. Uh, thanks for the fun trip down memory lane. Can't wait for the conclusion and your thoughts on the big battle between Nuke and Daredevil. By the way, Nuke shows up in the Jessica Jones Netflix series in a somewhat different form in case you didn't know. I... Did not know. I did not know. I'm surprised I didn't hear about that. I think Jessica Jones people really just weren't. They just weren't watching. Like I just, it didn't hit the zeitgeist the way like WandaVision did, for example. Let's see, oh, here's a good one. Andrew Knight, the search for Ditko. Andrew Knight has emailed us before. He's gone to comic conventions and asked people about Steve Ditko. Okay. Heroes of the podcast world. As I write this, I'm coming to the end of my weekend at Galaxy Con in Richmond, Virginia. Hmm. I don't know if you remember, but I emailed y'all about six months ago after I had the chance to meet and talk to Jim Shooter. I asked about Steve Ditko, and he was able to tell of his time knowing Ditko. I'd assume coming here this weekend, that it would be no problem finding all kinds of stories, but it never happened. I met Mike Grell, uh, assuming at his age he'd be a shoo-in. Nope, never met him. Then I went on to Bob Hall, who I definitely would have thought I'd met Ditko. Nope. I finally end up in front of Dan Jurgens of the famous Death of Superman story. His answer, once again, was that he never got the chance to meet him. He did roll into a Stan Lee story I thought was interesting. Uh, he had known Stan Lee from lots of different points in the past. They definitely knew each other. Then during the last year of Lee's life, after his wife's death, he became more out of touch with everyone. And with the way his daughter began acting, trying to control every aspect of, well, everything, nobody got anywhere near Stan. Jurgens was at a con and saw Stan Lee approaching with an assortment of bodyguards that kept everybody at an awkward distance from Stan to the point where Jurgens simply tried getting into the elevator to go to his own room to the hotel they shared. One bodyguard shoved him off the elevator. He said Stan was standing at the back of the elevator, dwarfed by all these people making him look so small and helpless. One of the world's comic book legends, helpless with no control of his own life anymore. He said between Lee's daughter, publicist, agents, and everybody else who had a hand in Stan, the Stan Lee pie, uh, Stan Lee was just there, there, but already gone. Uh, very sad story. Wow. But that is backed up by a lot of people's stories of Stan at the end of his life, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike Grell told a story about his relationship with Todd McFarlane. And after knowing McFarlane from the age of 17, he, Grell said he never paid Grell a penny for a Spawn series he did. Not a penny. It's so amazing the things like that that we fans never could imagine happening. That seems crazy. There must be something behind that. Yeah. Uh, then he asks about Frank Miller's uh, all-star Batman and Robin series he did with Jim Lee. Do you know about that series well? No. It's an insane. It's an insane comic. Okay. Was it after All-Star Superman? Yes. Okay. Uh, I know it's not popular. And granted, Batman in it is stark raving crazy. The whole cast of characters is actually. But it's a story I do love. From the Batmobile that changed into a submarine to Robin almost beating Green Lantern to death. The whole thing is just insane. But no one ever says a word about it. When Frank Miller's name is spoken, it's always in reference to the Dark Knight or Daredevil or Sin City or so on. What I want to know is, why is it never talked about? What makes it so hated that it's never even mentioned in hushed tones? I think it is mentioned. It's just bad. People don't talk about his bad work. 
I mean, it's just no fun to talk about something that didn't work. I mean, we don't talk. That's true for anybody, right? Like Steven Spielberg, we talk about the movies, the many movies of his that are great. And the ones that sort of didn't hit, eh, no one really talks about them. And it's not like not like we're protecting him. It's just not interesting to talk about something that didn't really work. And on a comic book Twitter, I often see the sequence from All-Star Batman where Batman has painted his entire mansion yellow to threaten Green Lantern, I guess. Like he's painted his skin and his everything everything in the room is yellow. And it is stupid. People laugh about it, but it just feels just like, oh yeah, that's his weakness. That's funny, I guess. <laughs> I feel like the difference between good work and bad work is sometimes just like 20% revision because like Dark Knight Returns has plenty of outrageous story points, but somehow it is like delivered well enough and explained well enough and paced or something where it, to my opinion, works great. But then something like that doesn't, you know, I could imagine, I could just, you know, I haven't read All-Star Batman, but I could imagine where a crazy vengeance oriented petty Batman paints everything yellow and it's funny, but if it's done as an afterthought, just kind of cavalierly thrown into an issue, it's going to be stupid. Uh, let's do one last one and then we'll end it there. We've got a ton of emails. We're not getting to. Sorry, everyone. Um, this is from PJ Basta. Big fan of the pod. Love Will's work on comedy. Bang, bang. Not me. A uh, couple of quick questions. I'm saying I'm not a big fan. Well, yes, I got it. PJ may be a big fan of me, but <laughs> which do you prefer physical or online app reading the MCU app kindled my uh, rekindled my interest in comics or the MCU movies rekindled my interest in comics. And the Marvel unlimited app has been an excellent way to dive deeper into the stories. Do you feel as there's particular drawbacks or strengths of both methods? Thanks for adding an entertaining perspective to reading comics. PJ Basta. Any thoughts on the, the two modes? I'll go first because I bet yours is your thoughts going to be better. And basically, this is this is physical versus digital. Yeah, yeah. So um, physical is always going to be more satisfying. Push comes to shove. Like when I have it in trade, that's the way I read it. Um, I just I like it better. But I have to say, if you have an iPad, digital is pretty close. And if you just need to go through a ton of comics, like when we went through our Moon Knight crash course, I loved being able to just download it. The convenience was really big. So I, I'm going to give it to paper only by like 10%. And really, if I'm doing a volume, a big volume of reading, give me that iPad. That's mostly what I think. I, the way I read my comics uh, kind of shows what I think about the qualities of each. If it's a comic I love, I buy it as a collection and I put it on a shelf so I can pull it off and read it whenever I want. And then everything else I read digitally. Uh, a lot of the back issues that I have in boxes, I never get out anymore. I just read them digitally. Um, it's easier. It's quicker. Like rather than pulling a comic out of a plastic bag and reading it and then putting it back in a plastic bag, or if it's like a pretty good comic that I like going to find it collected and buy that. Sometimes that's hard. Even like some collections I really like, like Peter David's Hulk run. I'd probably rather read that digitally because it's so long rather than get like 10 volumes, which is so much money. I'm toying with the idea of buying a mortal Hulk because I think it's only six volumes, but it's still a lot. Uh, it might be like three thick volumes. So it depends how they release it. It's like, I really love that story. I'd love to pull it off and reread it, but I have them digitally and it's just so easy. The big thing for me with comics became like storage. After you move a few times, once you have a kid and you have all his stuff, it's like, I don't, and my wife's stuff, it's like, I don't have room for all these comics. So I'm always trying to get rid of my comics. Yeah. Uh, but pile I, of flesh needs his little pile of flesh things. Yeah. So I like reading stuff, 
but I do find like staring at a screen is harder on the eyes. Um, so I get tired yeah. reading yeah. quicker. Paper is just better. It feels real. The, the art looks better on paper. Uh, the, uh, tactically, it feels nice. It's cal- It's calmer somehow. There's no distractions. Yeah. It's like, you know, but an, sometimes email, I'm like, an email banner can't pop up the top of the page when you're reading it. But the nice thing is my iPad's always next to me. So I'm always like grabbing it. I can just grab it and read whatever. Uh, where like a book, I've like got to go find it. Maybe it's on a shelf. Maybe it's in a box. Maybe it's in my storage space. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem if I have it digitally. It's either on my iPad or it's on one of these uh, uh, like shared app stores. I certainly, you've, I rebuy things digitally. Like I stopped, I have DVDs that I've rebought as digital movies just because it's so much easier to watch them that way. Yes. Um, so it's just nice and convenient. And the convenience, I think you can't, it's hard to uh, uh, over understate that. It's like overstate that. It's like the convenience is so nice. Also like splash pages look better because there's not staples in the middle. There's no advertisements. <laughs> it's just, it's very easy to read them that way. So I do like reading digitally a lot, but like when we cover Dark Nights, we read them in our beat up trade paperbacks and I love reading it that way. So um, so everything Will said, I just sort of reiterated the same way. I, I'm the same way with books. Like I prefer reading books and paper, but I haven't read a paper book in years because my Kindle is so convenient. Yeah. And also like I'll read while my wife is sleeping. I'll like read in bed next to her and it's like, oh, this is backlit. It's easy on the eyes. Yeah. It's like, well, my book, it's like, I've got to go somewhere, turn on a light, sit in a chair. It's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So much work. So uh, uh, I'm all for digital stuff generally, though I agree with people who like prefer paper. You're right. But I, convenience beats quality for me. Okay. So that's our answer. Uh, sorry, print media. You're dead now. The milk socks have condemned you. Milk socks? Yeah. <laughs> the milk socks. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the party wastes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, milk socks, party wastes. We got to watch a game. Professor X and Caliban are taking on Gideon and who was it? Silver Surfer. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be, you know, honestly, it'll be a terrible game. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also think like watching the X-Men play baseball is fun for a page, but those games are terrible, right? Because Colossus hits the first ball out of orbit and then Cyclops (laughs) blasts him with his laser and Wolverine tries to stab somebody and the game's over. One at bat. Yeah, this is the same sort of thing. Like Silver Surfer is going to vaporize uh, <laughs> Professor X. The Professor X is going to try to mind control him before that happens. Yeah, and then you know Caliban's going to look sad, and Gideon's going to pay off the refs so that they win no matter what happens. <laughs> Game's over. If the Watchers are ref, he won't be bought. Well, but he's he's only keeping scores. Well, he won't he won't issue a ruling either. But you can't influence him. <laughs> okay, I bet, um, takes, I bet he takes the money. <laughs> That'd be great. Watcher. What if the watcher took bribes? <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, that's our episode. See you next uh, again, episode with some Kurt Busick. That's right. Bye. Comics. Hi, I'm Michael McMillan. I'm 6'1", and I'm based in Los Angeles. Ever wonder what life is like for the working Hollywood actor? Every week on Slate Your Name, I sit down with actors, creators, and performers to find out how they're coping with the highs and lows of the entertainment industry. Here, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's Rachel Bloom talk about struggling with auditioning. I think they just weren't good auditions. The feedback from both was like, I was very green and not good. How Tom Everett Scott booked That Thing You Do with Tom Hanks. Here I am, going to meet the guy who I basically am like modeling my whole career after. And, and I'm just like riddled with nerves. It's, it's one of those moments where you're just like, oh, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna sabotage myself. How Rutherford Falls has Janice Schmeeding broke into the comedy world. One way I was able to sort of do that is by sort of giving comedy this space in my life that was just a hobby. And more. Join me every Tuesday for Slate Your Name from Campfire Media and available wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.